Hey, good day, everybody. It's so good to be once again with you and as we're sharing on the book of Exodus. And today's title of our message is Become God's People. And uh, the reason we're looking at the book of Exodus is we're learning how God lives amongst a people so that through them he can bless all of the nations of the earth. And uh, in today, we're going to particularly look at how the Israelites had to become God's people, how they had to the, the changes they had to make, the things they had to learn, the, the laws that they had to accept so that God could become begin to live among them. And that's what every one of us as a believer wants, doesn't it? Isn't it? It's, it's that we want to be those people who God lives among us and so that we can become a, a representation of God to the people around us and that they can look, have somewhere to look and say, well, that's what it looks like to live with God. And therefore, get to know God and and who God is. Today, we're going to particularly focus on Exodus 20 onwards. And if you're familiar with the book of Exodus, you'll know that this is round about the time of the book of Exodus, where it becomes a little bit more complicated and uh, you need a little bit more motivation to actually continue to read the book of Exodus. If, you, if you're joining us on our reading plan and our reading program, uh, you know, it's been fun and it's been interesting and exciting and lots happening up until this point. But now you start hitting the space in the book of Exodus where it begins to talk about the law. And uh, not only the Ten Commandments, but a lot of the law. And so often those things like, man, it just becomes difficult to stay focused and to stay energized and to stay motivated to read the book of Exodus. But what I'd like to do today is just give you a little bit of the understanding that we have of the law and why it is still so important for us to know the law and to understand God's heart in the law, because this was an, an absolute necessity for God to communicate with Israel if they were going to be a people that live with God in community and be a healthy community with each other. I think you'll agree with me that any community that um, wants to live together in a good way needs laws, needs ways to structure their their society so that it is fair to everybody and also a healthy place to live. Now, that becomes even more necessary if God, the holy God, the righteous God, the God who has no sin, is going to be the center of your community and live with you in community and actually be the one that shapes community, then the law of how to live becomes even more important. And this is what God is doing with them. When they arrive at Mount Sinai, God calls Moses to come to him and God begins to download and impart to Moses his law. Now, the most familiar to us of the law of God is the Ten Commandments. And um, I think many of us know the Ten Commandments and often we wrestle with ideas of are the Ten Commandments relevant to us today? Um, if they are, are they all relevant to us? And But that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how these laws were actually laws for freedom. Because so often when we think of the law in our modern context, we think of laws as things that take away freedom, that limit freedom. But law can be given in a way to establish freedom, to foster freedom, to bring freedom. And that's the heart that God was bringing the law and that the commandments that he was giving to Moses was so that these commandments will be laws that will bring freedom to a people that was enslaved in Egypt, that was treated unjustly and unrighteously. 
God is now saying, I want you to live with me in a way that is just and right and that will bring you freedom. And these are the laws that will facilitate and foster that freedom. We must remember that for God, ultimately, the law was not to be an external thing merely, but an internal thing, a thing that reorientates our hearts, that changes our, our, our perspective and our direction in life, that instead of wanting to move away from him to do our own thing and be our own masters, the law helps us to move towards him and that he will become our master and that he will be our savior because we are either slaves to the law of sin and the consequences thereof and the world system that is shaped by sin, or we are slaves to the righteousness of God, which ultimately is to be free. And so God begins to share the, Moses, the law with Moses. And, and the first couple of laws that he gives to Moses, I want to entitle these laws as the, the laws that give freedom to worship. These are the, the, the laws that establish the, the freedom to worship. But not just freedom as we have freedom to worship today, freedom to worship anybody or anything, but freedom to worship right. Freedom to not waste your time in worship. Freedom to not get distracted or to actually worship things that at the end of the day is not going to give you anything or help you in any way, not to be deceived, not to not to, dis, to to waste your energy and resources, but freedom to worship correctly, to worship that which deserves to be worshipped and that which can ultimately reciprocate in and build relationship with you in worship. And that's why God gave these following laws. I am the Lord your God, Exodus 20, verse 2 to verse 7. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God says, I am the God. I'm your God. No other God. I am your God. You shall have no other gods before me. God is saying that don't waste your time worshiping other gods. That it's not going to yield anything to you. I'm the only God. And you can't share me with anybody else. You can't worship me a little bit and some other God a, a little bit either. I'm an all or nothing God. You shall have no other gods before me. God is claiming to be God in their community, to be the, 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 the supreme one that lives amongst them. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above or on earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children, children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anything guiltless who misuses, anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God is establishing that he is the center of everything. He's right to have the community built around him. But not just him as, as any person or entity, but him as God, the one who reigns supreme, the one who is worthy of all worship, the one that cannot be shared that because he is a jealous God, the one that they cannot try and reproduce because nothing else will fully represent him. Nothing else will fully display who he is. Only he can display himself completely. And though he will use them to reflect him, that's the only other image bearer on this earth is, is people, is the ones created in God's image. Nothing else can carry God's image. No other representation can carry God's image. And God's name is to be respected, to be revered, to be honored, to be held in high regard, not to be brought down to human um, 
uh, understanding and knowing and and abuse. Uh, and God is not to be used by them for their purposes. They are to honor him and revere him and serve him. So he gives them the laws for freedom to worship. The next law he gives is the law to for freedom to rest. And we spoke about this last week because they were in a relationship with God and God is a different kind of, of king and ruler where he wants his people to know love and to know peace and to, to know rest. He even put this in the foundational Ten Commandments. He said, remember the Sabbath day, Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath rest to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals, for any foreigner residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And God established right there in their midst that there is to be a day that they dedicate to worship and a day that they dedicate to rest. And he links the two, worship and rest. It's not merely a day of resting, doing nothing. It is to be a day of worship because ultimately our rest comes from our worship. It is our worship, our understanding of who God is and of his lordship and rulership that gives us the, the space and the right and the ability to rest. So Sundays for us now, we our Sabbath is, is Sundays, is our one day a week and and, and we're not legalistic about that for some people. I mean, I work on Sundays, so I need to make sure I have other times. But Sunday is still a day that is a day of worship. It's the day of worship. It's a day dedicated to the Lord to spend time with the community together with the saints to worship him. And I want to encourage you, do not underestimate the value that, that if God put it in his law, and I know we are not bound to the ceremonial laws of the Israelites. But the principle of this law, the value of this law has not been revoked. The value of gathering together to worship together as the people of God, to, to together display and express his goodness and reflect who he is and to, take, to tell him that we take time out to come. And also worship you. Now, we are whole life worshipers. Every day is worship to the Lord. But we do recognize that there's a time where we gather, where we're the gathered church, not just the scattered church. And we worship him together. And that from that worship, there is a rest that is established. A rest that is not only a spiritual rest, but also a practical rest. But that rest flows from worship. And it's interesting here to note that that rest wasn't just for the Israelites that believed in God, but every person that was in their community. Because this is the way, and God gave the foundation for this because this is the way he created. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, our communities is supposed to have a rhythm that has rest in it. And it's, it's a, a rest and it's the freedom for us to rest that God made a law. Then God gives a law that is there to give them the freedom to have good family relationships. God also establishes the value of family by putting it in the law and saying family is such an important thing in how we display who God is. Because God is a father. He is a community within himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He is a God that built this universe to function within the context of a family relationship. We are his children. 
Therefore, God says, honor your father and your mother that you may be live long in the land of the Lord your God has given you. God is saying that your life, your blessing in this life is tied to your family relationships. You cannot escape it. It's tied to the, the value of family, to honoring your parents, to living in a love relationship with your parents. And I mean, the scripture has a lot more to say, but this is just to establish that relationship. And I know family relationships can be difficult. Sometimes family relationships are the ones that, that cause us more pain than even other relationships. But we cannot disregard family. We cannot throw it away. It is part of our freedom, is the freedom to have good family relationships. And then the last set of laws he gives is the laws to, to be free to live in law and order. Isn't it amazing that God doesn't just give us laws that govern our relationship with him? He also gives us laws that govern our relationships with one another. And that shows you how he values relationship, not just with him, but relationships one with another. And so in Exodus 20, verse 13 to 16, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. He starts delineating how we value and honor each other, how we live well with each other. And he says there's certain things that we cannot do if we're going to have healthy communities. We have to have a value of life, that every person's life has meaning. And every person is made in God's image. Therefore, we cannot murder. We must have a value of, of our sexuality and understand that sexuality that is so core to our being and so important to us as humans needs to be practiced within certain confines, that there are certain boundaries to our sexuality, that we have, to, if a community is to be healthy, it has to put limits on sexual expression. And uh, he gives us those limits by saying that, Sex belongs within a marriage. And for us, that constitutes the union between one man and one woman is the scriptural model that is reaffirmed here. That God is saying there has to be limits to sexuality. You shall not steal. He, he establishes, and, and we'll see it in the next law also, private property and the right to own property and the right to claim something as your own. And the respect that we have to have for each other's property and for each other, the, the values that, that we hold in the, in, in the right to private ownership. And he establishes that and says, you, you cannot steal. That, and that becomes a, a foundational law because he knows that there will be times where we will want to steal, that we'll even feel it's justified to steal, that we may feel that there are certain people that deserves us to steal from them. But God says, you shall not steal. And then he says, you cannot lie. You cannot give false testimony. He wants a trustworthy community, a community that is filled with integrity, a community that does good accounting of everything that happens with that in that community. I mean, that's why we need good financial systems. We need good uh, human relations systems in, in our organizations. We, we need good systems that govern that things are done with integrity and with transparency and with honesty. And this he establishes here that we shouldn't deceive one another, but we should have the truth in the center of our communities. And then he says, there's freedom to personal ownership that alluded into the previous law of thou shalt not steal. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your, covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. God is saying that I'm your provider and uh, don't begin to covet. Don't begin to want to um, take what belongs to somebody else. 
And uh, the Bible has a lot to say about justice and fairness. And and within, like we spoke about it last week, that there's that God gives us all what we what just what we need. And um, there's justice and fairness within that. But we never get to a place where we begin to to justify coveting what each other has. And in the world today, there's so much coveting that happens through social media and through through just the way we do life and we we covet each other and the and the lord says that that destroys communities if there's jealousy and covetousness and when we start uh, wanting what each other has and and believing we have a right to what somebody else has and we don't do it according to legal and justified and processes then then it will break a community so it gives these laws and remember this these laws were so that god could live among us but that also we can begin to be separate and different as God's people from the rest of the world. In that day, there were lots of law codes around the, the law codes of, the, of Hammurabi, um, which is a foundational law code that so many other law codes were built upon. And, but God is here refining the law to the Israelites and, and setting them apart as a community that is supposed to live better than other nations so that others can look at them and say, why are you better off? Why is there more peace? Why is there better community that you have and be able to understand it's because God is amongst them. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9 to 12, we read, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who, are, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul live such good lives amongst the pagan that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify glorify God on the day he visits us do not give into the temptation to break the law of God but hold fast to the law of God live as righteous people that are not of this world that are, do not give in to the to the ways of this world that are not enslaved by sin but that are a holy nation a royal priesthood that declare the praises of God and cause others to notice God's way and God's uh, life that he wants us to live. That is the calling that God placed on the Israelites. And that's the calling that God places on you and me. That through our lives, people will begin to see the goodness of God. Our, in our front lines that we live by the law of God, we, that brings us freedom to live in his blessing. And so that others can view the, the grace and the goodness and the favor of God in our lives. But as you know that the, the Exodus doesn't just con contain the Ten Commandments. From Exodus 21, uh, after the Ten Commandments are given, there's this breakdown of these ho hosts of laws that begin to describe and apply the Ten Commandments. And what, what we called uh, case law, where, where cases are put before the Israelites to say, if this happens, this is how you deal with it. Um, that is all consistently drawn back to the Ten Commandments and, and certain ways that the, the leaders of that time, Moses and the leaders, collected case studies to describe how God's law is to be applied. These are not thou shalt not laws. These are the descriptions of how God's law is to be applied and lived out in a daily way. And there's lots and lots of them. And this is where particularly the book of Exodus becomes difficult to follow. 
because so many of the laws we feel is completely irrelevant to us. But I want to take one law that is a common, uh, well-known law that is contained in this portion of Exodus of the, the covenantal law of God between how he wants the Israelites to live and just show it to us so that we can not be so quick to dismiss the value of these laws. And it's the law that is the law of the goring ox. Um, in Exodus 21, verse 28 to 32, we read the following. If a bull gores a man or a woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death, and, it mu- and its meat must not be eaten. But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had the habit of going, goring, and the owner has been warned but has not kept it pent up, and it kills a man or woman, the bull is to be stoned and its owner also to be put to death. However, if payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. The law also applies if the bull gores a son or a daughter. If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave and the bull is to be stoned to death. Now, I know when we read this, you go, now, what is that? Because not many of us living here in the city actually has bulls that are walking around and has the potential to kill somebody or injure somebody so does it mean we can just skip this law it has no meaning to us no i think there's so much in this law that we can apply today to to our lives and to private property and to areas of responsibility i want to say this law here deals with matters of value responsibility liability punishment safety ownership and it's all written to ensure good community where God wants us to live well with each other. So perhaps you don't have a bull, but let's think of it, for instance, as you may have a pit bull terrier. If you're living next to a school, as I've heard somebody use this example, if you live next to a, a primary school or a preschool and you've got a pit bull terrier, then um, there's some responsibility that you have because that pit bull comes with a certain da- uh, level of risk and danger attached to it. If you have a poodle and you're living next to a, a crash, then perhaps you don't have to be as careful and there's not so much responsibility on you. Here, God is talking to the Israelites and saying that as a community is built together, they're going to have to be entrusted with things that are strong and dangerous, things that 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 may cause damage and damage will happen. And how are you going to deal with it? How? And, and this is a, a very important law because if one person has a bull, but not everybody can have bulls necessarily. How does that one person who has more than the rest, how do they take responsibility for the more that they have and and, and, deal, and, and be more careful that, that than the people that don't have the bull has to be careful? That It's that idea of, you know, if, if much is given to you, then you are responsible for much. And um, so let's just look at this law quickly a little bit. So it establishes value. The first thing that this law tells us is that people are more valuable than property. Um, if if a if an ox injures a person, that ox is supposed to be put to death in the right certain circumstances, which immediately tells us the person's life is more valuable than the ox. Even if that person is a slave, is injured or killed, the scripture tells us that that person's life is more valuable than the ox. And don't you think that's an important law? Because we can so often think that our things are more important than people. And we can build a society where the value is not on people. We can even build a society where animals and people are treated as equal. 
But in God's eyes, they're not. People are his most valuable and prized possession in creation. So it establishes value. The law establishes responsibility. It assigns responsibility. Um, and, and, and it does a very wonderful thing here where, it, where it, it makes a separation between a bull that is an innocent bull in a sense. In other words, if you've got a bull and that bull has never injured somebody, it's not shown a track record of being a vicious bull. And in, it, in, it, in its first offense hurts somebody. You treat that bull differently. And the consequences of that is different than if the bull had a habit and has shown itself by three witnesses, has proven already, it's had complaints against it already, that it is a dangerous bull. And if you've not acted and put your bull in a secure place, penned it in, made sure that it can't cause anybody danger, then you are held more responsible and more liable than the person whose bull is is doing something for the first time. And I, don't you think that's a great law and that's so important to have in common law and civil law to understand that mistakes are going to happen and how we deal with mistakes is different than how we deal with habitual behavior. That's a very foundational and important law. The law establishes liability. It holds the owner responsible for the ox. Um, it doesn't. It, it says that there, there are instruments that causes damage and you have to deal with the instrument because it's interesting that the ox has to be killed so that it can't hurt anybody else again. But that's not enough. The owner, if, if it, your ox killed somebody and it's shown that it's dangerous, then the owner is also supposed to be put to death unless the owner can redeem their life through a payment that is agreed by the parties. Isn't that a fantastic law that again shows that there are they are, they are people that are going to make mistakes and they have to be treated in one way. They are habitual offenders. They have to be treated in another way. There's a way to recompense for what was done wrong, they, that, that a human life is so valuable that it may have to be paid for by another human life, but that there are situations where that life, where God doesn't want another human life to just be wasted and that that life can be redeemed. So it gives a very good foundation for how to deal with some of these matters. The law establishes degrees of guilt. Was the bull acting within the character it has shown or was the bull a first-time offender, as we've spoken of before? And there's degrees of guilt that it, that it assigns there. The law establishes punitive and restorative actions, as we've described. So these are fantastic laws that that is not just law that, you know, God is spoiled, trying to spoil their fun and, and being a fuddy-duddy. He is helping them build community but you know more than the mechanics of these laws and and how good these laws are many of them what i find fascinating is that god cares about these things that god cares and has something to say has a lot to say about how we are good neighbors to one another he really has the heart to get involved in, if my dog bites my neighbor or my neighbor's dog, how should I behave in that situation? And I think that's very important to, to notice. Because sometimes what Christians can do over history and even today is we make our Christian freedom all about spiritual freedom. We spiritualize everything. 
And we think that because I'm now saved, I've prayed the sinner's prayer. I'm born again. Now I'm free. And that's the freedom that God has cared about. My sins are forgiven. And now I'm. Uh, that's all that God cares about is so that I don't go to hell. So that all that God wants is me to be in heaven with him. And uh, the rest of life, God doesn't really have a lot to say about and really, really care about. But as you know, God cares about everything. When he's in a community, he wants justice in every area of that community. And he has truth that governs every corner of our lives, every space we find ourselves in, everything that happens and that can happen in our human experience. God has something to say about it. And God has a way to do that, that is right and proper, and it'll lead us to life and to freedom. And so I want to encourage you as you consider these things. Is, is there a sense in you that perhaps you keep God at bay a little bit in some areas of your life? While in other areas you invite him in? Are there rooms in your life, for instance, where God is not as welcome as in other rooms? Or do you even have an attic where God never is allowed to come into or a basement where you say, God, this is my space. This is my man cave or, 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 or this is my, my, my alone time place. And, and this is the place I escape to so that you don't, won't bother me. I just need to be myself and find my own space for a little bit. I want to tell you this. God <laughs> doesn't really allow for that. He has something to say about everything because he cares about everything in our lives. And the only way we can live life is to live with him. And I want to finish with Hebrews 12 verse 25 and uh, from, sorry, from verse 22, where, where the he, writer of the Hebrews tells us that God living amongst the Israelites required them to keep certain law. We must not think that it's any less for us. It's actually more important for us to live according to the law, not legalism, the right kinds of law, the understanding of God's principles and how he wants life to be lived. So listen to this, Hebrews 12 verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than that of Abel. He's saying that the Israelites stood before Moses, stood before a mountain, we don't stand before Moses. We stand before Jesus. And we don't stand before a mountain where God came down from heaven to, to rest on that mountain for a period of time. We stand in heaven with the myriads of angels that worship God. We are not in some representation of the presence of God. We are in the presence of God. How much more do we need to make sure that we understand the laws of being God's people? Verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. 
If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we, will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more shall I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of all that can be shaken. That is, created things so that that which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God except with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. He's saying, don't think that you have space to escape from living with God and, 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 and putting him in a certain space, but you have to worship him appropriately. And the only way to appropriately worship, appropriately worship God is to worship him with all of your life and, and give him the right to be the Lord and God and master of everything. Because he is shaking everything that does not worship him, that does not put him first. And sometimes in our lives, don't we go through shakings? And that's God lovingly shaking that which is in our life that is not built on him, that is not built around him, and that will ultimately damage us and cause us to know pain and to be enslaved. So I want to ask you today, are you worshiping God appropriately? Are you saying, Lord, I want to live with you. I want to live with you rightly. I surrender every part of my life to you. I invite you into everything in my life. And I recognize, Lord, that you have something to say about the kind of parent I am, the kind of employee I am, the kind of employer that I am, the kind of citizen, the kind of neighbor that I am, the kind of father, mother, child, everything, Lord. And I bring my life to you. And I pray, Lord, come and live with me. Teach me your ways. So that through me on my front lines, every one of these places, you can be reflected and people can see you in action because of the way I live. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I ask that you will come and help me to do that by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Thank you for being with me today. May the Lord bless you. May you experience more and more of him in your everyday life. And I want to tell you the only way we can do that is to stay close to the Lord. It's, it's, it's my habit. I start every day with the Lord in prayer and scripture. I end every day with the Lord in prayer and most often also reading of scripture. And I want to encourage you. We can't do this on our own. Draw close to him. If you feel far from the Lord, know that he's not far from you. He is close to you. May the Lord bless you.